You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in to Loho Daily for Tuesday, April 9th. It is the day after Virginia beats Texas Tech in the national championship, so I want to spend some time talking about that and talking about the experience of watching it. I, I broke down on yesterday's pod my feelings about Chris Beard and how I had the opportunity to sit down and talk basketball with him and how I felt that I was listening to a guy who actually knew what he was talking about and if given the right opportunity, he, he was going to be able to succeed. Overall, I enjoyed this tournament a lot more than I expected to. It's, one, it's the first year that I didn't fill out a bracket. And maybe that played a role in it, that because I had no rooting interest in any particular matchup, like I didn't need this team to win to save my bracket or this team to win to save my bracket, I enjoyed it a little bit more. And maybe that's the way I'll go into NCAA tournaments from now on. Because usually there's like a survivor pool at my radio station or someone's got brackets. And this year I just decided that I'm, I wasn't going to do it. And... It actually turned out great. Like, I was able to invest as a neutral fan and just go, God, I love basketball, and I really enjoy watching it played at such a high level. So maybe that'll be something that I I continue to do and continue to try and and see if if that makes things better. Like, I like going to baseball games where my team's not playing because you get to just sit there and be a part of it. You can also get up and leave whenever you want. Not that you can't when your team's playing, because Lord knows I do when the White Sox play. I just get up and leave. I was at a Cubs game yesterday. Just got up and left. But there is something to, I have nothing invested in this other than I love ball. And I think we got treated to a fun NCAA tournament. Once we got to the Sweet 16, I, I thought it was phenomenal. So we had two really great weekends of college basketball. To break it all down, I wanted to bring on Ricky O'Donnell. Ricky covers college basketball for SB Nation. He is fantastic at his gig. He was there in Minneapolis covering the Final Four. And so I welcome him onto the podcast as we start talking about Virginia, Texas Tech, and why more people were interested in Texas Tech. You you said that this was a fun final. There were a lot of people that were almost dooming it and damning it before it took place. But I watched it last night and I enjoyed it. What was it like being there? Yeah, it was incredible. I thought it was super tense throughout the whole game. Uh, every possession, every rebound felt like an absolute war. And I think it was that way for a few different reasons. First of all, I mean, you just have a bunch of 21-year-old kids playing in what's going to be the biggest game of any of their lives, besides for maybe Jared Culver and DeAndre Hunter, who are the two players expected to be drafted in the lottery. Uh, Also, you just have teams that, you know, were known for milking the shot clock, playing elite defense. Uh, So I just felt like, you know, both fan bases were – unbelievably invested in it. Just the idea of Texas Tech even playing for a national championship in basketball is pretty mind-blowing. Virginia, on the other end, 
is just coming off this incredibly charmed tournament run just to get there following the worst loss in the history of college basketball. So the stakes were so high on both ends. Uh, and I just thought it was really high-level basketball all the way around. I saw some of your coverage, and, and I'm, I'm curious to, to learn more about the Texas Tech experience at the Final Four. Because you're right, it, it is a weird team to see uh, there. Like it, it's, it's not a uniform or a school or a color that you're expecting to, to be a part of the national championship. So what was their run to this spot and being in that spotlight like? Yeah, I thought they had the loudest fan base. Uh, if you go back to that Saturday of any team at the Final Four, uh, and the players themselves, I mean, just being around them, they were just so locked in the entire time. Uh, they kept talking about how Chris Beard, their coach, would compare them to street dogs, not pet store dogs, because they didn't have a single top 100 recruit on the entire roster. If you think about that, being at the Final Four is pretty remarkable. The entire team was essentially two or three star recruits, so... Uh, Texas Tech, just with the way they played, uh, you know, they had to be so elite defensively every single game because they weren't going to beat anyone with their offensive talent. Uh, if you look at the numbers, they were the best. They posted the best defensive efficiency of the last 20 years. So uh, Texas Tech was incredibly locked in. And I think they were really a team that followed Chris Beard. Six years ago, Chris Beard was sleeping in his car. Uh, coaching an ABA team in South Carolina five years ago, he was coaching D2 Angelo State. So uh, the the team really took on the personality of its coach, and uh, what what an incredible run it was, and the, the fans were with him the whole way. It, it, it's funny. I I spent some time on yesterday's pod talking about Chris Beard because I called a, a DePaul Little Rock game four years ago when he was there. And I sat down and I talked with him for 20 minutes about his team. And you know how sometimes, like, the light just clicks on and you go, oh, that's someone who's going to be something someday. Like, that's, that's what it was. I, I felt even then, I was like, I'm looking at a guy who knows what he's talking about. And as soon as he gets some, some materials to go along with the good ideas, it's going to turn out great. Now, they ended up destroying DePaul. They won by 20 points on the road in that game, and, and I've tried to track his career since then. What is he do- Why is he good? Like From your perspective, after spending some time with him, what are the things about him that make him a special coach? Yeah, the players just totally buy his enthusiasm. I think that was the most infectious thing uh, throughout the entire team. You look at his defensive philosophy at Little Rock, Arkansas, they were known for making the biggest one-year defensive jump, I think, uh, at least in the history of the Ken Palm defensive rankings. They went from something like in the 200s of defensive efficiency to the top 35. Uh, and that defensive strategy really carried them. I mean, it was a team that denied you the middle of the floor. They pushed everything towards the sideline or the baseline. They switched screens in a way that we see all the time now at the NBA level, but you don't really get that in college basketball anymore. Uh, And they had an elite shot blocker, too, in Tariq Owens, who suffered a really scary ankle injury in their Final Four game and then still played his heart out in the national title. So uh, I think that Chris Beard was able to resonate with these guys in a lot of ways, talking to them in the locker room, because they felt like they were under-recruited, that they were slept on. And so is he. Uh, and that was the type of attitude they needed to, to make this run. 
Can he be happy there? I think he can because he's from Texas. He was on staff with Bob Knight for 10 years. Uh, and so, like, he, he has roots there. And because of that, like, I, I don't really see him leaving for a job like UCLA, let's say, uh, unless the money is so ridiculous that he can't, uh, he can't pass it up. But at the same time, I mean, if you look at the Big 12, uh, outside of Kansas, it's pretty wide open. There's some good programs. The Big 12 always has a reputation for being one of the best conferences in America. But, uh, you know, I do think there's an opportunity there for Texas Tech to start building, to start branding itself as a bit of a basketball school. Yeah. Uh, and I think you will stay there. Well, good, because I, you're looking at Patrick Mahomes, obviously, in the stands, having a good time, enjoying this run that, that the, the Red Raiders went on. And and I, I, it's so weird because I was going to say to you, is Texas Tech, can you even consider them a football school? Because if I look at what Cliff Kingsbury did there as a coach, it was a below 500 record. Like, it's not like they're a juggernaut, so why not kind of dive into the idea that you can build a great program behind a coach who really wants to be there? Yeah, and I mean, before Chris Beard showed up, Texas Tech had never been past the Sweet 16. In his second year there, he takes him to the Elite Eight. In his third year there this season, they go to the championship game. That happens after they lost five of their six leading scores. So he was able to totally rebuild that team with grad transfers, uh, just with, got, with guys coming into the program and with incredible individual improvement. I mean, Jarrett Culver, no one projected him as a potential lottery pick, let alone a potential top five pick coming into the season. Uh, Matt Mooney was a guy who played in, at Niles Notre Dame uh, in the North Suburbs of Chicago, he doesn't even have a recruiting page on 24-7 sports or rivals or any of the recruiting services because he was basically a zero-star recruit who is at Air Force in South Dakota, uh, comes to Texas Tech. So I think that, you know, this Texas Tech success that they had this year, it never should have been possible in the first place. And the fact that he was able to overturn so much of the roster and still achieve so much success. Uh, I think it shows that, you know, you can't write them off uh, no matter what they lose going into next season and that there is a chance it could be sustainable going forward. What was the most Texas Tech thing you saw over the weekend in Minneapolis? Uh, I think it was the way the the fan base responded to Old Town Road, which is the song that kind of became synonymous with their tournament run. Uh, the building was never louder than when that played, and the team went on a huge run in the national championship game after they played at the stadium, which I thought was hilarious. They were down almost 10 points uh, late in the second half. The stadium plays it over the loudspeakers, and suddenly it's a tie game. So uh, just between all the cowboy hats and cowboy boots and uh, the way the players would talk about you know, how Chris Beard would play country music at practice when they would lose, hip-hop when they would win, and then there's this, sort of country hip-hop hybrid song that becomes a viral sensation uh, right as they're making their tournament run. I thought that that was just too perfect. Do you believe that that it should be on the country charts? Oh, yeah. The idea that the country people wanted to kick it off the charts, I think, just cements the fact that it has to be because uh, it's so funny that people will get so upset over it. Yeah, I mean, doesn't that just uh, 
to me, that's that spells outlaw country to me, Ricky, that that you have a song that the country music people don't even want. I'm such an outlaw that they won't even let me on the list. Yeah, it's perfect. I hadn't even heard the song until I came to Minneapolis this weekend. Uh, and now I think it's going to be stuck in my head on loop uh, for 100 percent of the rest of my life because of the way the, that fan base and those players reacted to it. We spent 10 minutes talking about the team that lost last night. And that's okay. I mean, I'm fine with it because I I find them to be an interesting story. And the fact that you had a final that a lot of people honestly didn't want. I'll, I'll ask you a, a, a hypothetical that's almost impossible for you to answer. Do you think you would have had as much fun had this been a Duke-Michigan State final or North Carolina-Duke final than you did watching Texas Tech in Virginia? Yeah, I think it potentially could have been as much fun, but it just would have been different. I think the urgency both these programs played with and everything that was at stake for both of them uh, is what made it so much fun. But, I mean, I'll I'm, I'll go back to the Villanova and North Carolina final a couple of years ago when Chris Jenkins hit the buzzer beater. That was a brilliant offensive game back and forth between you know two programs. I think Villanova's almost reached blue blood status now. So two programs that are among the best in college basketball. Uh, it would have been incredible to get Zion on there. I'll admit that I was watching this NCAA tournament and covering it for SB Nation, praying that Zion would make it to Minneapolis just because I thought that uh, that would be, you know, the the most compelling thing to write about. Uh, but, it, yeah, I think it could have been great either way. Uh, but what we ended up getting was so much fun. Let's talk about Virginia. And and I know that, that they're tired of talking about what happened last year. But I think that it, it really does add to the, the mythology of them winning the title this year. What, what have those guys said about the road that they had to get on after the loss to UMBC? Yeah, I, I wrote this in the, in the story I published this morning at SB Nation, but what I thought was pretty incredible, when they were walking off the court after UMBC last year, Ty Jerome you know, is fighting back tears, and he looks over at Kyle Guy, and Kyle Guy is just having a breakdown. He said he's just straight up bawling on the court, and Ty Jerome puts his arm around him and said, we're going to get one before we're done. And for that to happen the very next year, and to me, what's the most charmed tournament run in, in recent memory? It's just absolutely incredible. Virginia faced its biggest deficit of the entire season in the first-round game against the 16 seed. Again, they were down 14 points to Gardner-Webb, uh, at one point in that game, that would have been enough to sink the psyche of a lot of teams. But Virginia fought back, they stayed composed, uh, and they they took that game pretty easily into into a blowout. Uh, and then you know you go to the Elite Eight game. I think if you replay the last five seconds of that Elite Eight game against Purdue a hundred times, a thousand times, I don't know if Virginia wins it again. Just such an incredible pass by Kihei Clark, holding it down for the short kings, like me and you. He's about five foot eight. Uh, to the Mamadi, the Akite buzzer beater, just absolutely incredible. And then the tension in the building during the final four game against Auburn, just incredible. I mean, Gene Honda is the public address announcer at the final four. Our, our boy uh, is the White Sox PA address announcer. He announced that Auburn had won the game because that's how much confusion there was at the end of the game. Uh, I don't think anyone in the stands heard the whistle. 
the players on the court said that most of them heard the whistle, but even Tony Bennett himself was walking over to Bruce Pearl to congratulate him on the win. Uh, but they, they do blow the whistle. It was a foul to me for sure, mm-hmm. uh, which is just unfortunate for the Auburn players. But Kyle Guy steps up to the line with his big smirk on his face, drains all three free throws to put him in the title game. Uh, and then even the title game, so many things went their way. I, I really thought the video review on the out-of-bounds call on uh, Moretti was, was kind of shameful. Just yeah. It sort of went against the spirit of the game. But it, everything went Virginia's way. There was a, a point in that game where they're down three with 15 seconds left in regulation. Jerome drives, fires a bullet to DeAndre Hunter in the corner. He hits the shot. If they miss that, you know, Virginia loses. So everything just went their way over three weeks. And uh, just, you, what I said is you, you can't write it. Is as good as it happened. I thought that that play was really interesting because the instinct of the defensive player is, well, I'm going to come and help, even though you're up three. So while a, a layup hurts, it doesn't kill you. But once you collapse on the ball and then there's the kick out, you have an open three basically from the corner. And it just – I'm just sitting there going like – I, I want to criticize the kids, but you can't because that's I'm sure that's what they've been coached to do to collapse the ball. But there's also an issue of of time and place. And in the time and place, like you might be better off letting that layup go instead of an opportunity for three. Yeah, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head there. Uh, it's unfortunate because Texas Tech had been so elite defensively the entire year, and they were not winning with talent. They were winning because they were coached so well and because, you know, they were so locked in mentally on that end. Uh, I think it was, you know, potentially a mental error, but like you said, I mean, they were just executing the defense that they've had to his- historic success the entire year. Uh, unfortunately, they got burned with it, though. It, it ends up being the wrong choice, I think, coming over to help in that situation. What have you thought about Tony Bennett and, and this run that they've gone on? What's, what's he like to cover? He's just, like, so cool and calm. Uh, I, I was talking to the Virginia players in the locker room, and after the game I was like, you know, what, what was the scene like uh, when you guys got back here, when the door was still locked to the media? And they were like, yeah, you know, we were, we were celebrating a little bit, and then Tony Bennett got us all quiet, and he said, you know, this doesn't change you. You still have to be humble human beings, even though you're champions now. And I think that just sort of personifies him so much. There was an air, there was just like an air of calm and an air of cool throughout the entire program, uh, which was really remarkable. I mean, you look at his story compared to Chris Beard, Tony, Tony Bennett's dad, of course, Dick Bennett was a famous coach. When Dick Bennett was coaching Wisconsin to the 2000 final four, Tony was just a volunteer assistant on that team. He was 30 years old. He didn't even know he was going to get into coaching. So I think that, uh, you know, he basically took the defensive strategy, the pack line defense that his dad, uh, you know, instilled and had so much success with, and he just perfected it. Uh, and just sort of the confidence of knowing that, you know, they, they've had so much success in the toughest conference in America and the ACC for the last six years, they entered the tournament, I think is the number one or number two seed five times over that six year period. Uh, there was just so much confidence and so much coolness uh, throughout Virginia, and it was all because of Tony Bennett. I really liked the way the stadium looked, and I don't ordinarily like big places for the Final Four. It it sometimes feels so far away 
when, when you're watching the game on television. There's not a real intimacy. I, I thought that somehow it came across as intimate, even though there were like 70,000 people there. What was the experience like in the building? It was good. I think that, you know, I, this was the fourth Final Four I've covered in the last five years. The only one I missed was the one where Chris Jenkins hit the shot in Houston uh, over that stretch. But this was as good as any of them. Uh, I would, you know, compare it pretty favorably to the Cardinals Stadium, uh, which is where they had the, the Duke versus Carolina tilt a few years ago. Uh, everything is just so nice and so new. Uh, and, and the stadium's gigantic, too. Uh, the, the one thing is that none of the stadium workers really knew how to, you know, how to exit. There was like one exit in the entire building for media to get out of. So it was a little <laughs> confusing uh, in that part. When I was leaving the building on Saturday night after the final four games, it was like 2 or 3 a.m. And I almost thought I was going to have to sleep outside because I was walking around the perimeter of the building with another group of media people and everything was fenced in. We didn't know how to get out. So besides for that, it was a pretty great experience. Uh, and the, the building in Minneapolis is just unbelievable. So it, it was really fun. If you get a chance, you should hit up Glam Doll Donuts on the way out. Uh, I need to head to the airport. Uh, so I'm not sure if I'm going to get a chance to do that. But Dang. I'll keep that in mind. All right, I got one more question for you then. What's the most interesting college basketball story of the offseason? That's a good one. I'm going to say that it's Duke and Carolina needing to replace a ton of talent. We think, uh, you know, Duke is just going to be, uh, you know, the best team in the country every year. They're going to be way less talented next year than they typically are. I mean, there's no one in this next class. I'll, I cover recruiting, too. I think this current incoming high school class, uh, it, it's the weakest I've seen talent-wise since I've been covering it. And the first class I covered was the one with Jabari and Wiggins. So I think it's been, you know, six or seven years or something. Uh, they just don't have the type of stud freshmen they're used to. I mean, you look, they had, what, since since they landed Jabari, they've had Brandon Ingram, Jason Tatum, Marvin Bagley, uh, now Zion. They're, they're just not going to have that type of super high-level talent next year. So I think that that's going to be really interesting, even though they did get Trey Jones back, how, how they're going to respond to that. And then Carolina, they lose three seniors. Uh, they don't have the instant impact recruits on the perimeter to keep them afloat. So I think that, you know, next year, the two biggest blue bloods in the sport could take a little step back. Uh, and with, you know, a type of freshman class that's not totally going to change everything immediately, uh, it just makes it more wide open for everyone else. Ricky, man, I really appreciate you you waking up and, and after a late night of writing and all that to, to be on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me, and I look forward to us talking again soon. Thanks for having me. That is Ricky O'Donnell. He covers college basketball for SB Nation. You should follow him on Twitter at SBN underscore Ricky. Knows a lot about the game, knows a lot about the league. I'm glad that I got the chance to talk with him a little bit about about what happened last night, I enjoyed watching the game. I truly did. I really enjoyed it. I was doing some stuff. I was actually working on some things. It was a good companion for me. And then it got interesting in like the last seven minutes on who was going to be able to kind of put their will on the other team, and there you have it. It ends up being Virginia. Virginia gets a bad rap. I mean, that's not true. Virginia gets an honest rap about being boring basketball. But throughout the NCAA tournament, I found them to be 
exciting. I thought that Kyle Guy, who was named most outstanding player in the tournament, was all of that. That that he came up with big moments. What was really interesting about Guy is that he somehow was able to show personality on the floor in the most stressful moments. It, It even happened last night where he had to go hit two free throws, and he's talking to guys right before he shoots the free throws. Now, when you're an 82% free throw shooter, and maybe you don't have any problems like that, but I I was very impressed with the way that he reacted to the circumstances. And hopefully, I mean, you enjoyed us talking a little bit about what was going on uh, in in the the tournament itself. And I love talking to Ricky, really, really smart guy that, that deserves a follow and really understands what's going on in college basketball and honestly pro basketball too. Let me leave you with a, a final thought, and I don't know how much, how long I'm going to go on on this, but I just, I'm just scrolling through my Twitter account. I'm just scrolling through, and I see a story posted with this headline from Pro Football Talk. The headline reads: Oliver Luck leaves XFL door open for Johnny Manziel. Why? What has Johnny Manziel done? In football, since leaving Texas A&M, which was a long time ago, that warrants him getting shot after shot after shot. Name one thing, one memorable thing that he's done in professional football that warrants him continuing to be some sort of strange attraction to football leagues, whether it's the CFL, the AAF, or the XFL. Here's the truth. As exciting of a player as Johnny Manziel was in Texas A&M, his skills don't translate to pro ball. Quit trying to make fetch happen. Because that's what Johnny Manziel is. Thanks for listening to today's Loho Daily. We'll be back tomorrow. I don't know about what yet, but whatever it is, it's going to be fun and it's going to be good. We appreciate you listening. If you're new to the podcast, subscribe. Check out some of the older episodes, like the episode with Lisa Ann, for example. We got good stuff coming for you every single day. So we appreciate you listening and being a part of it.